Love it. I love it. I'm going to encourage that as much as possible. Um, maybe we'll catch on with all the kids, and then maybe that will trickle up um, to all the adults. So, amen? amen? All right, there you go. Um, well, thank you for being with us this Mother's Day. Um, we are grateful for all of you, but especially grateful for moms. If you, when you came in, you did not receive, if you're a mother and you did not receive a, a Starbucks gift card or didn't get passed out to you, maybe you came a little bit afterwards because you were just getting inundated with gifts, hopefully, right, and all those handmade cards at home. Uh, well, you can get a little Starbucks card, moms, out in the lobby. It'll be in a basket out there for you, and we are, we are grateful to God for you. Uh, we are closing out the book of John uh, officially today, but we're actually going to go back three more weeks and, and look at what does it look like to live in light of the book of John. We've been going through the book of John for almost a year, and every time we finish a book, I feel like I'm leaving an old friend. And I hope that's your feeling as well, because we've gotten to know John, and we've gotten to know Jesus through the book of John, because I think over the last year, we really need to see Jesus. And especially now, at the tail end of this past year, what we really still need to see is Jesus, and what does it look like to respond to Jesus? In, in light of the fact, now we saw last week that, that Jesus has revealed himself, and John wrote all these things so that we might believe, and, and, and after belief, then we see that there becomes a knowing, and Jesus invites his disciples to know him, to have fellowship with him, and that's where we pick up this account today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 21, we'll be reading verses 15 through 25. This is God's holy inspired word that he desires to communicate to us afresh today. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is this going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? 
This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray and ask God for his Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are willing and desirous of giving us your Holy Spirit for all who ask. This morning, we we need your Holy Spirit to be able to hear your word and to be able to set aside distractions, to focus on you, to be encouraged by you. God, I need your Holy Spirit to preach. Lord, what an impossible task to convey your word apart from your enabling spirit. So God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill me, to fill each and every person here. Lord, would you bless this task of your word, and Lord, would your word not return void, but would it accomplish what you desire? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was in kindergarten, I loved the time when Mrs. Johnson, she would take a chair out, and she would sit in front of the class, and she would open up a picture book, and we would have story time. Anybody here love story time when you were younger? Anybody currently love story time? Um, kids, you like story time. It's, it's a great time because um, you're learning something. I, I shouldn't have told you that, but you're learning something, but it's enjoyable. You, you hear a story, you hear an account, and, and you learn something, but it doesn't feel like learning because it's, you can put yourself in the story. You can identify to it. You can relate to it. And, and so the Apostle John, he is a master for sto- masterful storyteller. He gives us all of these stories, these accounts of Jesus. Now, they're, they're true stories, and I, and I love Stories that are true because they're even more meaningful. You can identify with them. And the Apostle John, all throughout the book of John, he's been giving us pictures or stories of, of Jesus. And he sits down with us. And so in this, in this final closing of the book of John, he sits down essentially with his hearers and he, he opens up the book and he shows us what Jesus is like. And he shows us what it looks like, what it means to follow him, what it looks like to love Jesus. And he shows us some things about Jesus through this account. You see, whenever the Gospels are, they tell tell us things in different ways. They, They teach us lessons in different ways, and they teach us by showing us Jesus, by showing us really ourselves in the characters of the book. What we see in this image is that Jesus is is merciful. He is, he's doing something here. And, and for anybody who's been reading through the book of John or heard the book of John, you, you, you notice that some things are going on. You see, because three times Peter had denied Jesus, and now we see that three times Jesus is affirming Peter's love for him. And, and there's something going on here. There's something going on that, that Jesus, he is restoring Peter. And I think John means for us to see that he restores us as well. This is the character, the nature of Jesus. Jesus restores us. And, and we see two other things here, that he, he calls Peter to love and to follow him. And, and I think John intends for us to see that as well, that not only does Jesus restore us, all those who've sinned against him, who've denied him at times, but Jesus restores us and he calls us to love him and to follow him. And I think we're, we're meant to walk away seeing this image and, and, and learning that what Jesus, he, he does restore us. Sometimes we can feel like we are so distant from him, we are apart from him, and our sin can feel like it keeps us from him. And yet when we come to him, he restores us. And then he calls us to love him and follow him. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us without purpose. He doesn't leave us alone. Peter here, he, is, he has been out all night fishing. He's been fruitless with the other disciples he's not caught any fish Jesus comes to him and the disciples he he makes their fruitless time fruitful 
He enables them to catch fish, and then he calls them. He welcomes them into relationship with him. But I can imagine if I were Peter and I saw this little charcoal fire burning on the beach, I might remember the last time I was standing around a charcoal fire. The last time I was around a charcoal fire and saw Jesus, as I was Peter, I'd remember that that was outside of the high priest's court. You see, Peter, was, he was outside of the, the courthouse, of the, the courtyard of the high priest, and he was standing around a charcoal fire when he denied his Lord. And he wasn't even facing serious opposition at the time. The first person to ask him was a servant girl, and that was, not only was she a servant, but it was a woman. And that day, they wouldn't have been esteemed at all. Her testimony wouldn't have been accounted as, as reliable, but a servant girl intimidated Peter to deny Jesus. Now, that's, that's serious, right? Because Jesus has told us that if anyone denies him before men, he will deny us before the Father. So lest you think that Peter's denial is not a big deal, Remember that word of Jesus. And yet, Peter denied his Lord in front of this servant girl and then another servant. And then the last time Peter denies Jesus, it's in front of a slave. A slave comes and asks him, hey, didn't I see you? He, so he did not, he even saw Jesus. And so now Peter is walking up onto this beach. He's dripping wet. He has he jumped in the water. He wants to be with Jesus. And yet I, I can imagine he's aware of a barrier. He is not yet restored to Jesus and so Jesus he welcomes him he has breakfast and after breakfast Jesus restores Peter and I think John would like us to see that's the character of Jesus Jesus restores that's the first thing we need to see in this passage is is the character of Jesus Jesus restores I don't know about you but when I have sinned I at times can feel like my sin keeps me from being acceptable to Jesus now, that would be true if my, the basis for my acceptance with Jesus was my ability to be sinless. But the reality is, is our basis for acceptance with Jesus is never, never grounded in our ability to keep ourselves sinless. It's always grounded in the fact that, that Jesus has died for our sins. And so we see that, that Jesus, his character and his nature is to restore those who come to him. That's the first point you need to see this morning is Jesus restores you can go to point one there in the slides Jesus restores and he asks some some questions that penetrate the heart now when when before we believe in Jesus we might have lots of questions we might have lots of things we want to know lots of questions to get answered but you know when Jesus asks questions of us they penetrate in a way that our questions never could Jesus asks some very difficult questions he asks some painful questions and there's two questions that he, that he asked that they really frame up the entire text. And, and the first question that he asked Peter, his beloved disciple, one of, one of his closest three friends, he asked Peter a question, and it must have hurt. In this restoration process, he asked Peter a painful question because he needed to address, he needed to address Peter's sin. And so he asked the question, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And as we read it, I think, you know, how would I have answered that question? Well, yes, Lord, but I'm aware of all my sins. So he says, Peter, do you love me? And it's important, he asks this, he asks this question three times. He says, but he doesn't call him Peter, if you notice. He says, Simon, son of John. Now, when, whenever my mom used to use a mom's, I'm sure you do this too. Um, anybody here, mom's ever used all, all three of your names? If you have, you know, three names, the first, middle, and your last name. When that happened, I knew I was in trouble. 
you know, when it was Matthew Robert Rawlings, I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I do? I'm in trouble, something serious is happening. And, and, and Jesus is kind of doing that with John here, with, with Peter. He's saying, Simon, son of John. And he does that three times. He doesn't call him Peter the Rock, and maybe he's intentionally drawing attention to the fact that Peter has not been a rock. He's saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, if somebody asked me a question three times, or if my spouse or my kids or a family member, a friend, if they asked me, do you love me? You know, the first time I'd be, yes, absolutely, I love you. Now, if they asked me that same question back to back three times, I don't know about you, but I might get a little annoyed. I might get a little bothered. I might, I'm, and, and the reason why is I might be offended and think, they don't believe me. And, and yet Jesus here, he's getting to the heart. He is, I think he's driving home a point. He's, Peter's getting a little uncomfortable. He's hurting and he's grieving. I don't think Peter, Jesus was trying to humiliate him, but he was deliberately restoring Jesus and Peter in a threefold reversal of Peter's denial. In his kindness, Jesus restores Peter three times, affirming his love. And then we see that after that restoration, he commissions Peter. He calls him to something. He calls him to love him. And he calls him to respond to loving him. So he asks him three times. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And what a penetrating question that is. And I think as I read that question, I have to ask myself, do I love Jesus? How do I know? How can I see that I love Jesus? And sometimes I have to say my affection for Christ wanes because I'm not aware of my need for forgiveness by Christ because I'm not aware of the fact of, that he has forgiven me of much. And yet to, for, for those who have been forgiven much, they love much. And so I think Jesus is actually pointing Simon Peter to the fact that he's forgiven him. And so he's, he's getting him to see that because he's been forgiven much, Jesus wants him to love much. He loves him much. I don't know if, if Jesus meant to compare, but I think when he says, do you love me more than these, what he was probably drawing attention to the fact was that Peter seemed to have a lot of bravado. Earlier before Jesus' death, Peter said, you know, I'm going to die for you. And he he, he claimed, he boasted more than any of them to have strong affections for Jesus. And so Jesus says, do you really love me more than these? He wasn't saying that, it, you know, he, he agreed that Peter loved them more than disciples. But the question is, do you really love me more than these? And what a question for us today. Do we, do we really love Jesus more than we love other people in our lives? Do we really love pe- Jesus more than we love to look like we love him? Do we really love Jesus more than other things in our lives? If so, it's going to be seen. And so every time, every time Jesus asks Peter the question, do you love me, he responds with something. And, and it's curious here. He, says, he, he doesn't say good or thank you or I love you too. What he says is if you love me, it's going to be seen in something. And, and so, so what we can see from that is that Jesus is calling Peter to love him by feeding his sheep. He says, if you love me, you're going to feed my sheep. If you love me, you're going to tend my sheep. He uses different words really to get at the same idea. If you love me, you're going to care for my sheep. And Jesus calls us to love him by caring for his sheep. That's, that's what John, I think, wants us to see. This is how Jesus calls us to love him. He calls us to love him by caring for his sheep.
When I tell my wife I love her, it would be an unexpected response if she said, well, then mop the floor. But in, in reality, I think how I serve my wife, it's a demonstration of my love for my wife. And if I was just selfish all the time, and I only did things for myself, then, then it would really be questionable whether I really love my wife. So Jesus isn't, he isn't slamming Peter here, but he's saying, if you love me, it's going to look like you feeding my sheep. It's going to look like you tending my sheep, caring for my sheep, caring for the ones that Jesus died for. That's not foreign to the idea of Jesus saying, by this all people will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, good, care for my sheep, tend my sheep. It's not contradictory to, to love for Jesus. It, it, it's, it's, we, Jesus doesn't love us because we do things for him. But our obedience to him, our loving other people, is evidence of our love for him. And as you get us the question, hey, do, do I see evidence of that love for Jesus in my life? Do I see that, that I love and care for the sheep in my life? If I love Jesus, it's going to be seen and how I love, and how I care for, and how I tend the sheep. You know, my, my kids and I, we like going to the Columbia Zoo. It's, um, we, we buy a year pass every other year kind of thing, and so we, we drive there, and we go, um, we enjoy lots of parts of the zoo, but we especially like the petting zoo there. Because you get to go, you get to interact with the animals and you get to feed them and, and it's fun. And then you get to go in this little goat pen and the, the goats jump up all over you and, and you pet them and this neat and you try to keep them from eating your clothes and, and it's a great time. But you know what? I, I don't care for those goats. I don't care for those sheep. I don't care for those animals. And, and caring for them is, is very different than just, hey, I'm going to enjoy this interaction and then I'm going to go away, Right? Feeding sheep, caring for sheep, tending sheep, it's messy business. Those zookeepers, when we go away, they are busy scooping up the poop. They are busy cleaning out the stalls. They are busy combing or doing whatever they do to those animals to make them presentable for the public. And so when, when Peter is given this command by Jesus, he says, if you love me, it's going to look like caring for, tending, feeding my sheep. He's not talking about, hey, just go and have these great interactions where it's going to be really great and fulfilling and nice, and, but, but have no responsibility. And, and I think for us, that actually speaks to how we interact with fellow sheep here. You know, we can, we can expect church at times and, and fellowship just be this, hey, this great time, we had a great time hanging out together. And you know what? By God's grace, we do, Right? But tending fellow sheep, caring for them, feeding them, is sometimes difficult. It's sometimes messy business. But that is where our love for Jesus is seen. If, I, if we love him, we'll feed his sheep. It will be evidence of our love for him. Well, Peter was grieved. And after Jesus asked him a third time, saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Did you notice how he responded this time? He didn't say yes, yes, Lord. He instead appeals to Jesus himself to testify of his love. So this time he says, Lord, you know everything. 
What he's in fact saying is that, God, you, you know my heart. You know I desire to love you. You know everything. You know what's in my heart. And then, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus is trying to get Peter to see something. He's trying to get Peter to see that if he loves him, he's going to care about feeding his sheep. Like how Bruce Milne, he comments on this, on this chapter, and he says, loving Jesus, it means accepting a responsibility for Jesus' people, a truth which is in need of rehabilitation at the present time. I think my periods when I was dictating stayed in here, so you can laugh at that with me. Commitment to Christ involves commitment to the church of Christ. Jesus Christ is not a single person in the sense that he comes to us without other attachment. He's a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom he loves and for whom he sacrificed himself. To be in relationship to Christ while ignoring or even despising his bride is no more acceptable than such behavior would be in a human context when relating to a married friend. Far less so because their relationship with Jesus has infinitely greater dimensions. Genuine New Testament conversion means not only turning to and accepting Christ, it also means turning to and accepting his bride, the church, Jesus His love for the church remains undiminished even though the church be torn, ill-clad, dirty in places, and generally malnourished and diseased. The church is still his bride, the people for whom he died, and and, and who are therefore the burden of his concern. So he speaks this word today for those who will hear it. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. We're called to love Jesus by feeding by caring for, by tending the sheep, even though it's going to be difficult. And, and, and we see that because Peter immediately is told by Jesus what's going to happen to him. You love me? Feed my sheep. And it's going to get difficult. And, and in fact, Peter pro- I mean, Jesus prophesies about how Peter would die. That, that when he was young, he would just go wherever he wanted, but when he was old, his arms would be stretched out and bound. And he'd be taken where he didn't want to go. And, and John tells us this is to signify what kind of death because back in that day, the, the idea of having your arms stretched out was a, was a euphemism for crucifixion. And we know that, that according to reliable accounts, it seems that Peter was crucified as well. Loving Jesus, caring for his sheep, it will be costly. Following Jesus is costly. And it challenges whether or not we're truly loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is not, out with, not without a cost. And, and Jesus is letting Peter know that. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And if you love me, feed my sheep. It will be difficult. But loving Jesus looks like caring for the sheep, even when it will be costly. Peter, he is, his head must have been swimming. I can only imagine now Peter was thinking, wait a minute, I've been restored and I'm in fellowship with him, and Jesus is questioning whether to love him, and then he's commissioning me to feed his sheep, and then he's telling me that, that how I'm going to die. And then he looks, and I, I can imagine he's been walking down the, the beach, maybe Jesus is saying, follow me. Peter's walking down the beach, he turns and he looks and he sees John, the, the, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, and he says, well, what about this man? What about this man? I, what about Jesus, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die? What about this guy? What's it going to be like for him? I can, I can imagine I might be asking that same question too. 
mean, don't, don't think Peter's kind of ridiculous for asking that question. I, I can imagine if you were in that place and Jesus says, by the way, you know what, now that you're young, you can go wherever you want, but you're older, somebody, your hands are going to be stretched out and you're going to be bound and you're going to be taken where you do not want to go. You're going to die for me. And you might be wondering, well, does that mean, I, what about them? And I think what John's trying to get us to see is that, that Jesus calls us to follow him without comparing to other sheep. That's difficult, isn't it? He calls us to follow him. That's the third thing you need to see here. He calls us to follow him without comparing to other sheep. How does Jesus answer Peter? Look down your Bibles. How does he answer Peter? Peter says, what about this man? What does, what does, Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? He basically says, it's none of your business. None of your business, Peter. Mind your own business. You follow me. You follow me. He, he's telling Peter, he says, what, what does it matter what I call another disciple to do? You follow me. Now, I don't know about you, this is a place where I struggle. You ever, you ever struggle there? You ever feel like somebody else has a different path than you and it, and it seems to be a much preferable path to yours? Maybe you're struggling with an illness and you see people who are really healthy and they seem to be having this easy, kind of great life. And you're like, what about me? Or, or maybe you see others that, that just making money comes easily to them. They barely do anything and they are wealthy. And here you are working your, by the sweat of your brow. <laughs> <clears throat> Love you, kids. Glad you're here. <laughs> and you see someone else being successful, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm working really hard here. And yet, and yet, they're barely seeming to be doing anything, and yet they're making lots of money. What about me, Jesus? Or what about me? I've, I, I, I tried to train my kids in the way they should go, and I, I've, 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 I've done so much to disciple them, and yet not all of my children seem to be following you. And yet I look and see someone who seems to take their kids for granted, and yet all their kids love Jesus. What about me? Peter's question is a very human temptation, isn't it? You ever wondered, what about, what about this guy? What about this gal? You ever have that? Anybody here ever have that? Come on. You ever been jealous of some other follower of Jesus, their lot in life, and you feel like your lot in life is unfair? Well, what Peter is told by Jesus, it applies to us as well. Keep your eyes on Jesus and stop comparing and looking at other people. It's a trap. It keeps us from following him. It keeps us actually from loving Jesus and following Jesus when we're looking at other followers of Jesus and thinking, why isn't my life like theirs? And, and that's a trap that not just, you know, normal people fall into. I think everyone falls into that. Even people who you think have a great charmed life fall into that same trap. No matter what your profession, no matter what you're calling, we can all fall into that trap of comparison. You know, some people seem to be extremely successful. Some people seem, they have riches, they have good looks, they have physical abilities, they have health, and there seems to be like, wait a minute, but they seem to be ungrateful or they, there seems to be no reason. What in the world is, what's the rhyme or reason for that? 
You, you know, that's a trap because it keeps us actually from following Jesus. Instead, makes us look at other people around us. Where are you tempted to compare? Where are you tempted to jealousy? When, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. He doesn't tell us to take up somebody else's cross and follow him. He says, take up your own cross and follow him. You know, when I was little, I was, I was lost quite a few times. I won't go into those stories. I've, I've told them before, but um, I got lost when I lost sight of my family, when I couldn't see my parents. I couldn't follow them because I didn't know where they'd gone. And Jesus is telling Simon Peter this. He's saying, Peter, you, you take your eyes off of me and you put your eyes on other people. It's, you, you're not going to see where I'm leading you. You're not going to be able to follow me. You, mind your own business. Follow me. Don't get distracted by what you think you deserve. And said, trust Jesus in following him. Now it's neat to see on this side of history that Peter, he went on to be a very faithful and fruitful disciple he brought much glory to God by following Jesus and yes his life ended in death many years later probably about 30 years later in the meanwhile he followed Jesus and and, and I love seeing that why because his failure his denial his utter failure did not define him he could have got stuck there he could have he could have got stuck looking at his at his failures his sins instead of looking at Jesus. He could have got stuck looking at John, looking at the disciples and seeing what their path was, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to follow Jesus and his utter failure, it didn't define him. And, and I want you to know, we need to hear this morning, our utter failure doesn't define us. What defined Peter? The forgiveness of Jesus Christ defined him. The Holy Spirit empowered him and enabled him. Just like our past failures, no matter how grievous they are, if even we have denied Jesus, when we come to him, he restores us. Our failures, our weakness, our sin does not define us. Don't believe that lie. Come again to Jesus. Be restored by Jesus. Confess to him. And then confess your love anew for him. Because he has died for your sins. He has been crucified for you so that now we live in him. Our hope is is not that we are sinless. That's not how Peter was restored. It's not that Peter reformed himself first before Jesus restored him. Actually, we don't even see Peter apologizing before this. I, I hope that he did. I assume he did. I don't know. But we see Peter denying him, Jesus being killed for him. Jesus being resurrected, then appearing and restoring Jesus. You see, because the story really is about Jesus, not about Peter. It's not about Peter's repentance, what Peter's great acts of contrition, how Peter made up for it. No. Jesus says, come to me. He welcomes them into, into fellowship, into relationship. He restores them. He calls them to love him by loving his sheep and then follow him. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he says, you know, forget what lies behind you now. I press on. I forget what lies behind me and I press on to the goal, to the upward prize, to the calling of Christ Jesus my Lord. The one who loved him and given himself for him. The one who's loved us and given himself for us. 
He welcomes us to come to him. He restores us. He calls us to love him and he calls us to, to follow him. I love that the Apostle John, he writes that, he, he says, you know, well, this, this, this beloved disciple I've been writing about the whole time, well, it's me. So I want you to know that I, I actually firsthand saw all these things. I can attest to all these things, the validity, the, who Jesus is, his character, his nature. And, and, and Peter had a path that he was going to follow. And, and John, in the end, he was the, probably the only one of the apostles who wasn't put to death and died as an old man. He had a very different path than Peter. Peter ended up having a very public role, leading the church, uh, winning all kinds of converts. He was, he was in front of, most likely in front of, of, of Caesar. And, and yet, John had a very different path, and he ended up writing some books. And it wouldn't have seemed to have had the same public ministry as Peter, but it was very effective. And so they had different paths, and and John's saying, hey, this is, I just want to show you that we, we have different paths here. And don't, don't compare. Don't compare. Jesus is calling you to follow him. Forget what lies behind. Forget your failures. Forget the fact that you have sinned. Come to him again. First John tells us, uh, John wrote later uh, uh, three other little books. He called First, Second, Third John. He, he says in First John, he says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. Not, not because we're faithful, but because he's faithful. So the question is, do you love Jesus? Have you denied Jesus in your past? Have you been boastful? Have you been proud like Peter? Have you sinned? Jesus wants to restore you to himself. Come to him. Follow him again. Love him by loving his disciples. John, he says he's not writing a complete history of everything that Jesus did. He's, he's, that's not his point. He's writing accounts to show us something about Jesus. And what we're meant to see about Jesus is that Jesus, he restores us. And he calls us to love and follow him. Without comparison, without looking to someone else, but looking to him, Loving him by loving his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for giving us this account of you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring John to write this down so that he might open up this book for us. We might see you and see ourselves. That we might see what it looks like for those who've been restored to love you and to follow you. God, I pray for each and everyone here who doubts their love for you, your love for them. I, I pray that, that each person here who is unsure of your affection for them, that they would see that, that Jesus, you died so that, that our sins might be put away. You loved us so much that you offered up your life for us. Father, you loved us so much that you sent your son. There can be no greater testimony. And that now, Jesus, your disposition is to Restore those who come to you. Your disposition is to call those who come to you, to love you, to follow you. Thank you, Lord, that each and every one here, Lord, you have a path for us, Lord. I pray that you would keep us from comparison. But Lord, you would help us fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.